1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates National Average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: This league is hard. It's not always going to be perfect. There'll be a lot of people down on you. Um, you might be down on yourself wish you could do better, uh, but keep on getting back up, keep on swinging, keep on competing, uh, regardless of the score, the situation of the game, and that's not easy to do, right? You know, that's not easy to do when you're down and, you know, to sit on a bench and start bitching and complaining, That's, that's easy to do. It's hard to stick with it and get ready to play the next series and not worry about if you just got beat on a pass or if you got sacked. That's you got flusher pretty quick. Dr. Lonnie does a great job. The team psychologist of talking to the team. Um, and I think our guys, you know, each week we get a little bit better. We know we're a long way away, uh, early part of the season. But, um, you know, we just try to compete and do the best job we can. So.
1: Brian Daybo waited a long time for his opportunity to be an NFL head coach. It felt like the window was open for him over a decade ago. It finally happened, and it's working very well for the New York Giants. There were some quotes before the game. Kimberly Martin of ESPN with quotes from Kayvon Thibodeau saying, hey, look, I wasn't here last year, but guys who were, they weren't very happy about being here, and now they are with Brian Dayball as the head coach. And I actually, Miles, I am going to just savor for a little bit the fact that I am not a complete and total moron. I picked the Giants to win the game 24-20. I got the very rare, what I'll call a hole-in-one for those of us who pick the scores of games. Don't give me the sarcastic golf clap. But the reason I believed in the Giants yesterday, I spoke to Dayball after the game that they played in London when they beat the Packers. And I, I heard some of that same thing we just heard. No excuses. Always mm-hmm keep pushing no matter what the circumstances no matter what the conditions no matter who's injured no matter how many points you're down I mean this is the second straight week they've come back from a double digit deficit to win the game and the Ravens now have a horrible habit of blowing double digit fourth quarter leads and you -hmm. know as I've said a couple of times in the past few days I really would love to know, talking about true alphas, I'd love to know what went down between John Harbaugh and Wink Martindale to cause Harbaugh to decide to let Martindale move on when his contract expired and not give him whatever raise he was looking for, or whatever extra power he may have been trying to get, because they miss Wink Martindale now. Because Mike McDonald, hey, he may become the next Vince Lombardi eventually, but he's not there yet. And that Giants defense is benefiting from Martindale the way the Ravens defense did all the years that Martindale was there, Miles.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting because you look at the way the Ravens are blowing leads. I mean, I don't expect Baltimore to blow a 10-point lead under John Harbaugh. I just don't. And the fact that they're doing that, Right now, multiple times early on in the season, they really have a lot of problems to fix. But also, you got to give the Giants credit for continuing to stick with it. They absolutely do not quit. And when they need game-changing plays, when they need big drives, when they need to make a real big stop, they've been getting it. And so I don't really know exactly how good the giants are. They have a favorable schedule based on where they finished last year in the standings. But right now they're playing football as a complete team. As we continue to use that word as well as anybody, right? You cannot just say, all right, well, we have a 10 point lead on the giants in the fourth quarter. We're all right. You're not just because of the way that they play, they're going to be relentless. And I think you are absolutely right in that Baltimore misses wink Martindale. I don't know what went down the both uh, Martindale and Harbaugh basically just had really nice things to say about one another and just effectively said it was time for Martindale to move on. I don't really know what that means, but Martindale seems to be in a really good spot right now with Brian Dayball. And I am sure that Brian Dayball, despite wanting to keep Patrick Graham, Patrick Graham not doing so hot exactly with the Las Vegas Raiders. Maybe this was one of those deals where it just works out really, really well because they end up with Wink Martindale.
1: The Ravens really have to be kicking themselves though at three and three, when they could be six and oh, if they would only play a complete (laughs) game, they would be six and oh, their defense needs to play a complete game. But that has to drive John Harbaugh crazy to have those games won in the fourth quarter and see it fall apart. 17-point lead over the Bills, 21-point lead over the Dolphins, and now most recently a 10-point lead over the New York Giants that all fell apart because of mistakes. And there were some uncharacteristic mistakes from Lamar Jackson. You know, you look at the numbers offensively, they finally got 100 yards rushing from – someone not named Lamar Jackson. Kenyon Drake had 119 yards. I don't know what's up with J.K. Dobbins. I think that his return from the ACL tear last year, just to get him back to where he was as a rookie, taking longer than expected, but Drake finally stepping up, but it just doesn't matter because if your defense isn't going to hold it together, and again, yesterday, it wasn't all the defense collapsing. There were mistakes by Jackson that helped fuel it, but it's still, uh, it's it's weird to see, and it's weird to see the Giants – finding ways to win because it's not like they went out and spent a ton of money on talent to transform the team right Brian Dayball kind of got stuck with a bad roster and he's making the best batch of chicken salad that I've seen in recent years with guys that we just thought weren't any good and maybe it's they were never horrible but the coaching wasn't doing anything to make them good. Now you take a coach who can take this collection of men he inherited and make them into winners. That That's why I'm a believer here with what the Giants are doing, because they're only going to get better as they, under Joe Shane, the new GM, systematically get better players.
3: Yes, they are. And I think one of the things that we've seen is that Mike Kafka has fit his system to the strengths of what these players do right I mean Saquon Barkley is having a career resurgence because they put an emphasis on running the ball and running it well and finding creative ways to get him the ball in space as well so it's not just that they're doing one thing and they're doing square peg round hole and it's like ah you know, we're banging this thing and you're not fitting our system and this is not going to work and we got to do da 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 Not really. As long as you buy in, they're going to figure out some way to utilize you to the best of their abilities. So, I mean, I, I, like we said, we're talking about Wake Martindale and all that. But also Mike Kafka, I think, has done a really, really good job. And frankly, I didn't think when they hired him that Brian Dayball wouldn't be calling offensive plays. But I think it's one of the smartest moves that he has made: is a hiring Mike Kafka, and then b entrusting him with the play calling. You don't always see that out of guys, especially who are hired as offensive minds and then become head coaches. A lot of them they keep that play sheet in their hands, and they're the ones calling the plays. But that's not what Brian Dayball has done, and I think it's been a really, really good decision by him that's worked out extremely well.
1: And it's the little things that can make a difference. Saquon Barkley, 22 carries for 83 yards and a touchdown, and eschewing the opportunity, or eschewing the opportunity, depending upon your preferred pronunciation, to score another touchdown late. Remember that Browns-Jets game when Nick Chubb, didn't know do what I? to do and scored when he shouldn't have and opened the door for the comeback win 13 points down and the Jets score and they get the two-pointer or not the two-pointer they get the onside kick and they score uh, again. Yeah,
3: I I oh, I we all the, remember exactly the, what happened. Oh, I just want to
1: make you. sure that you didn't forget Miles since you're getting older ah. now. But ah. but Barkley doing that that you never get to the point where you get that exciting comeback because Barkley Unselfishly, situational awareness, getting down on the ground and ensuring that the game can end with Daniel Jones taking a knee, Daniel Jones taking a knee, Daniel Jones taking a knee. So not exciting, nothing that jumps off the stat sheet, but the kind of thing that prevents the foundation from ever being put in place for the kind of heroics that we saw back in, was it week two? It was week two, yeah. Mike. Yeah, thank you. But yeah,
3: it, it's the Rolex. I, as a fan, situation. I would have
1: loved to have seen the Ravens come back and win the game because it's, it's exciting. It gives you more to talk about. But Saquon Barkley did exactly what the Browns should have done in week two.
3: Yes, it, it, it's the Rolex situation, as Sean McVeigh used to call it. The time is more important than the points. Kevin Stefanski called it No Mas which means don't score there because, again, the only way that a team can come back in the game in that situation is if you score and you let them. The Ravens would have been very, very happy to let Saquon Barkley get a touchdown and fantasy managers all across the nation also would have been very happy. But the point is to win, right? You get a first down there, the game's over, the game's won. And so that's what you need to do. That situational awareness is good coaching, Right, It's something that you call in on the headset when you call in the play. Make sure everybody knows once you get that first down, go down and you win the game. Game's over. Uh, that situational stuff, that's the stuff that really separates the good teams from the great teams or the bad teams from the good teams. If you have that kind of knowledge and you do those little things, that wins you games.
1: We hear so much about analytics and following the percentages that's just a different way of thinking about situational football. Being aware of... I don't think of, it's
3: different. I, I think it's the the way that it should be. It's, the well, great
1: coaches do that stuff. Right. It's not even... It's not analytics in the classic sense. It's just knowing how the clock intersects with the circumstances, intersects with what your opportunity is, and you just yeah. you just know. And some teams don't. And when they don't, it's more entertaining and glaring and <laughs> confounding. When they do, it's kind of boring, but it delivers oh, the victory for the, the Kenny
3: Rogers principle.
1: Nothing boring no. from... Exactly. No one him. to hold them. No one to
3: hold them. No one to fold them. Oh, no wow. one to walk away. No one to run.
1: A song from before you were born, and yet you are aware of its existence. Yeah. I think that's a song from the 80s, too. That's the decade that you just flat out ignore even happened, at least as it relates to pop sure. culture and movies. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who had... You know, I know Sims, who's a Giants fan. He wasn't real thrilled with the draft pick, but Thibodeau came through with the strip sack to seal the victory. If they huge, could get, huge. you know, more and more out of him. Again, this is some of the new guys that they've brought in to supplement the holdovers who weren't all that good, thanks to Dave Gettleman. But there it is, in the strip sack, and that's that for. The Baltimore Ravens, when they still had a chance to win the game, that was the precursor to the Saquon Barkley decision to go down at the one-yard line. So, great day for the Giants. I I thought I was really going out on a limb when I picked them to win. But the more I thought about it, it's like, you know, we've seen the Ravens self-destruct, and the Ravens had that big emotional win on Sunday night. You know, the Giants were coming all the way back from London, and they beat the Packers. But that's when I had Brian Dayball's voice resonating in my brain. No excuses. Don't give up. Don't get soft. Just go do your thing. And uh, the Giants now 5-1 and one and in second place in the NFC East. Uh, let's hear from John Harbaugh on the chronic failure of his team to finish games out, to not play complete games, specifically in the fourth quarter.
2: Yeah, we've got to take responsibility for that. We've got to find a way to do it it comes to coaches and players. I mean, we've got to come up with calls. We've got to coach our guys better. In those situations, you know, be in the right spot, play the right leverage, uh, you know, block the play the correct way, whatever it might be. Uh, those are the things we've got to do a better job of and players got to take responsibility as well. It's just us. And I told them, it's us. It's us together, all of us together. Uh, it's six games into the season. Uh, you know, we're in good position, big picture wise. Let's get to where we can be and where we need to be, where I think we all can see we should be. Uh, it's our responsibility to do it, though, and we got to go get the job done.
1: Look, 11 games left. They are not finished. Although, Marlon Humphrey, insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. I thought thought there was an issue with Marcus Peters and John Harbaugh. Now Marlon Humphrey and John Harbaugh are going to have to have a little conversation today.
3: Well... I mean, it's if he's talking about the fact that they keep blowing late leads, then I mean, what are you what do you expect when you're doing the same thing and you expect a different result? You can't keep having lapses late in the game. And then, you know, expect that you're going to win when you're in the National Football League. Those guys get paid, too, as we always talk about. So, I mean, I don't know exactly what the context is surrounding that. But if that's what he means by that, then I think he's right. I don't know that he really needs to have a conversation with Harbaugh about that. Harbaugh would probably agree.
1: Hopefully he doesn't try the I'm talking about something else entirely and it has nothing to do with (laughs) our performance yesterday. But you have to wonder what the guys in the locker room are thinking, especially after they go against the team where Wink Martindale now is employed and they're Mm -hmm. asking themselves, why couldn't Harbaugh work it out and keep this guy around because Mike McDonald isn't helping them be in the position to slam the door when they have leads of 21 or 17 or 10 (laughs) in the fourth quarter and could be. 6-0 6-0 and or at least 5-1 and or 4-2. and But But the good news is they're in every game. They've shown they know how to build the lead. They just don't know how to hold the lead. And the holding of the lead is equally as important, if not more important, than the building of the lead. We'll see if they can continue going forward. They are in the thick of things in the AFC. The opportunity is there for them. The AFC North has no clear runaway team right now. 3-3 and 3 gets your first place. The Steelers very much alive. We'll talk about them coming up. They play the Dolphins next Sunday night. They got their second win of the season, which no one expected, and that's a team you don't give up on ever. No matter how bad it looks like they are, they can find a way, like they did yesterday, to surprise you. Let's pivot to a team in the AFC wait, wait,
3: wait, one more thing about the Ravens, though. One more thing about it Go ahead. That. Because, the, it, you know, we're talking about defensively, how uh, you don't hold the lead offensively that they bear some responsibility for that too, because look, Lamar Jackson threw a catastrophic interception, right? Right. Coming off a play, which was basically a dead play. You can't, he has to know better at this point in his career what you need to do to live to see another day. You can't just try to like throw across your body when you're not in position to make a good throw. This is what we're talking about right here. He's throwing across his body back into the middle of the field to a guy who was very well covered. That leads to the go ahead touchdown. The offense bears some responsibility here because when you do that kind of thing, then that's what really helps set you up to lose. So I mean, and then Lamar Jackson has the fumble on the next drive. So those are two critical plays by Lamar Jackson that were not made that then lead to the Ravens losing. It's not just the defense, especially in this game.
1: That play from Lamar Jackson remind me of the fourth down play against Buffalo where just the execution is questionable. The rollout to the right, running away from pressure and just throwing it. And and I don't know whether guys get seduced by the Patrick Mahomes uncanny ability when on the run (laughs) to throw it to a guy who actually is open and they just think if I just happen to get rid of the ball, it's going to end up in the hands of somebody who is open. We saw Zach Wilson try to play that game a little bit yesterday where he did the flick back as he was going out of bounds and it almost got picked off. There's only one Patrick Mahomes. We're reminded of that when guys try to do the Mahomesian thing where they're running runway, throwing back the other, and it all looks good until you realize that it lands in the hands of a guy wearing the wrong colored jersey, and that's what happened to Lamar Jackson yesterday. And, you know, I mentioned that earlier. It's not all about the defense. The offense bears some blame, too, in putting the defense in a spot where it's got to defend that short field and hold off the opponent and ultimately failed to do so. All right. It wasn't as close. It wasn't as exciting, though it had to be exhilarating for the New York Jets to go in to Lambeau Field and thump the Green Bay Packers 27-10. to 10. I know they've lost some games at home over the past 30 years, but the idea that, that a team that we have in our head and in our recollection for the past 30 years is not being a great team could go in there and handle the Packers that easily. It was kind of like a changing of the guard type of a game. And I don't want to overly dramatize the outcome because it's still early. I remember a time, Miles, before you were born, so I'll tell you a little story here. It was the 1985 oh season when the Cowboys were still regarded as you know a good team and they were one of the, the elite franchises in the NFL And in comes the Chicago Bears, who were having a pretty good year. But, you know, the Bears hadn't been anything in the Super Bowl era. Pre-Super Bowl era, yeah. But, you know, for modern NFL fans, the Bears always kind of stunk. And they went in there and they beat the Cowboys like 44 to nothing. And that was like, wow, that was a changing of the guard statement game. And, And I'm thinking of that here. Not that the Jets are on their way. To a Super Bowl this year, or they're even on their way to being a team that's in the conversation. But it just felt like one door slamming shut and the other door swinging open for the Aaron Rodgers Green Bay Packers. It feels like, and I don't want to start putting dirt on the grave and/or sending the horse to the glue factory because that's that's usually when it turns on you in a very dramatic way. But it just feels like the Packers have no answers, and it feels like the Packers can't figure out how to consistently play. Forget about a complete game. They can't play a complete quarter miles. And here yeah. come the Jets who who pounce early and never relent. And, yeah. you know, it's not like it was a blowout, but there was just this sense that the Jets were just gradually going to take this one from the Green Bay Packers.
3: Well, we saw that block punt that uh, the the Jets got over the Packers. And, I mean, didn't they bring in Rich Passaccia so that that kind of stuff wouldn't happen? Those are the moves that you make in the offseason to try to prevent those kinds of block things field from goal, also. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's just I'm not I'm not impressed with what's going on right now in Green Bay. I don't think anybody should be. But on the other side of that, you've got the Jets. And I'm reminded of Rex Ryan talking about, hey, man, we're building a bully. And did the Jets ever really become bullies under Rex Ryan? I don't know. Other than maybe that one year where they went to the AFC championship game, I would say no. This team, they're bullies. They come in there and they don't relent they keep playing, they keep playing, they keep that effort going. And in that, in that late in that game, you see where they're running the football really, really effectively. And that's how they just took the Packers out of it. I was really surprised to see how poorly the Packers defended the run against the New York jets. And, you know, especially when you've got the brother calling plays on one side of the other brother, who's the head coach, on the other side, who's also calling the offensive plays. It's not like this really is an unfamiliar scheme to you. So I don't really know what's going on there with the Green Bay Packers, but they do not look like the team that we expect to see whenever it's being quarterbacked by Aaron Rodgers, especially the team that that has looked really darn good in the regular season under Matt LaFleur.
1: Well, 13 wins in 2019, 13 wins in 2020. 13 wins in 2021 Mm -hmm. and now at 500 three and two was the worst five game start under Matt LaFleur. So three and three unheard of for these green Bay Packers. And I don't know whether this is just a simple case. And and maybe there's a lot in common right now between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, both of whose teams are three and three. I I feel like maybe they both did the Brett Favre 2010 one year too many like Sometimes it's better sometimes it's better to know that that, that he, and everybody wants that one last year that's gonna result in winning a Super Bowl like Peyton Manning, like John Elway, like Jerome Bettis, like Michael Strahan. But sometimes it's just not gonna happen and it makes it even more unsatisfying when you have that last year where you're just like, Why did I why did I do this? And and I think I I think with Aaron Rodgers, not that he's ever gonna admit it. You know, I saw somebody report last week, and I didn't write about it because I frankly hadn't heard of the person who was reporting it. It's somebody with a blue check on Twitter, which I guess, I guess means something. That that they gave you one people exactly. I didn't even ask for it. People within the organization are under the firm and clear impression that this is Rogers' last year. That he's made it clear it's going to be his last mm. year. So I, I don't know that that makes a difference. I don't know that that helps. I don't know that it hurts. The bottom line is, oh. and I remember in the off season, Miles saying. You've got both the Chiefs and the Packers who have lost their top offensive threat in the passing mm. game with Tyree Kill gone from Kansas City and Devontae Adams gone from Green Bay. I was not concerned and am not concerned about the Kansas City offense without Tyree Kill. I was concerned and continue to be concerned about the Green Bay offense without Devontae Adams. And there was some some, uh, Aaron Rodgers yesterday talking about that. Let's hear from what Aaron Rodgers said yesterday regarding this need to not make the offense more complicated or ornate, but to make it simpler going forward. Here he is.
2: It's always been like this. It's always been when we struggle, we're doing too much. So whether it's with Devontae Adams out there, we're no Devontae Adams. When we get into problems is when we uh, maybe try and do too much. So there's multiple times. But in the past, based on the personnel or the way we were playing, we could get through that and win some of those games. So this is not a new thing that I'm, I'm saying here. This has been a part of every season, even in 2019. You know, it wasn't like we were gangbusters to start the season. Um, but there were times where we needed to just rein it in a little bit. Let's just simplify some things, make sure our guys are, uh, you know, getting playing with more confidence. Um, that to be said, the standard is the standard. and. The plays that we had in were easily, you know, understood and executable. So this is not an attack on the on the staff at all. Because they put in a plan that can win football games. But the execution, when it looks like that, you know, it's not good enough. Who
1: is throwing under the bus there? At first it sounded like it was the coaching staff. We have to simplify things. We're making it too complicated. But then it's well, you know what? It really wasn't all that complicated. We just need these guys to be able to execute. And I keep coming back to this, and I know it's an unpopular take, but I really don't give a crap. If Aaron Rodgers hadn't decided to ghost his teammates and the staff and the organization for 95% of the offseason program, he showed up for the mandatory minicamp and that was it, and he acts like it's no big deal, you don't have to be there, that's when you lay the foundation for things. That's when guys get on the same page. When you're talking about a young and or new core of receivers who are going to be eventually meshing with Aaron Rodgers or not, that's where you start the process of the connective tissue, of the relationships, and then you build on it in training camp. And then when the games start, you know, you've got that week one brain fart that we see the Packers commit on an almost annual basis, but then they start winning games, and they get to a point where they're winning convincingly, and now they're losing convincingly. Think about that. They blew a 17-3 lead in London to the Giants, and then they lose by 17 to the Jets. The Jair Alexander manifestation of bad energy came to fruition. Aaron Rodgers, remember he said, don't talk about that. Don't manifest it. Well, they did, and I don't know what he's looking for offensively. He wants it simpler because apparently the guys that he's relying on aren't getting it done the way that they need to. It also doesn't help that that he's got a thumb that I think is far more injured than they'll ever let on, but it's just not working. It's amazing to see an Aaron Rodgers-Green Bay Packers team, Miles, struggle like this. We're not used to it. We're not used to the Packers. I'm used to the Packers being bad when I was growing up. I'm not used to the Packers being bad, looking like this, since they got Brett Favre on the field in 92. They've had 30 years of teams that were far more often good than bad. This is weird to see for me.
3: It is weird to see. I mean, uh, you know, I'm reminded of my favorite Canadian jazz fusion band where I don't think the Packers are bad, bad, But right now they're also not good, you know? So look, you right now they're struggling in part because offensively there is not that continuity, right? You talk about that connective tissue and we compare uh, the Packers to the Chiefs and what both of those teams went through in the offseason. I mean, you just brought it up, Right. Aaron Rodgers, not there. 95% of the offseason program. Patrick Mahomes brought those guys to Texas with him. He, they talked about this continuously, how Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, MVS, who obviously used to be with the Packers, and they brought Sky Moore into things when he got drafted. All those guys were together. They were doing things together. They were on the field together. They were off the field together. They were they were creating a unit within themselves that they can go back to now when they are on the field in crunch time. Now, obviously they didn't get it done yesterday against the Buffalo bills, but that team is still extremely competitive. And we still think of the chiefs as one of the two best teams in football. You look at the Packers and there is not that continuity and you have to wonder, well, if Aaron Rodgers had taken the time, to really get with those guys in the offseason program, get to know them personally, get to know them from an on-the-field standpoint too in May, not just in late July and August, then maybe things would be a little bit different where you're not talking about simplifying things and we're six games into the season. You need to be expanding things now, not condensing, especially if you have a quarterback as good as Aaron Rodgers. So there are a lot of concerns right now with the Green Bay Packers.
1: Rodgers mispracticed on Wednesday with the thumb injury played, obviously. After the game, Matt LaFleur said that the thumb was hurting. He battled through it. He refused to say that inaccuracies from Aaron Rodgers were attributed to the thumb. He would say that would be making excuses, so he didn't make it. That's the next level. That's next level. I'm not making excuses, but the quarterback's thumb was injured. Next level is... I'm not going to make excuses because that would be making excuses. So I'm not going to say that the quarterback's thumb had anything to do with his inaccuracy because that would be making excuses. That really is. That's the Jedi mind trick of making excuses. But, you know, the bottom line is Aaron Rodgers is banged up. He is banged up. And it's having an effect. And there are more issues beyond Aaron Rodgers' health that are causing challenges for the Green Bay Packers let's praise the Jets though for a minute or two before we take yes. a break. they've won three in a row they're four and two best start since 2015 they're three and zero oh on the road since 2000 that's the first time since 2010 they're on track to make it back to NBC for the first time since the butt fumble game of Thanksgiving of 2012. That's how good the Jets are right now. I need to pull up the schedule and see what some of these games look like. I remember when we saw now not that the Jaguars are holding up there under the bargain, but I saw Jets Jaguars for a Thursday night game on Amazon coming up late in the year, and I have a feeling Al Michaels isn't going to show up for that one. Maybe he will now, <laughs> since the Jets are um, far better than anyone thought they would be this year.
3: Yeah, well the Jaguars are really disappointing me, especially after I said they would win the AFC South a few weeks ago. But I still think they will. Right now, man, they're not getting it done. But yeah, you're right about the Jets. Like I said, they, they are bullying teams, especially with the run. They finished with 179 rushing yards. And I don't necessarily expect to see that. I think that Zach Wilson's got to play a little bit more consistently. And he's still making some throws like, really, whoa, ho, 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 buddy. Let, let, let's let's chill a little bit here. Um, but when you're getting the kind of production that they're getting out of the run game with Brees Hall, as you see him running into the end zone right there that makes them play that makes them more competitive you know and you just can't get that offense off the field at just any given time they know how to close out games and that's something that teams don't always know how to do just talking about the ravens the ravens can't do it when you can close out those games in the fourth quarter that makes you dangerous
1: they've got a trip to denver to take on the broncos who will be Coming off of that short week, Monday night. It's one of the rare Broncos games that is not being televised stand alone. Oh, Rematch of the 1998 AFC Championship game, by the way. And then back-to-back oh. home games before the bye. Patriots and Bills coming to MetLife Stadium. So we're going to learn more about the New York Jets here over the course of the next few weeks. But it's amazing to see. And I talked to Quinnen Williams after the game because he's really coming into his own as the guy they thought they were going to be when they made him a top-five pick. And I asked him why the team's better and why he's better, and the answer to both was rattling off the names of all the great players around him that are making him better. It's easy to be great when you have great players around you and you're not the focal point of the offense. We had the blocked field goal yesterday from Quinnen Williams, big push up the middle. He was disruptive. He was in the backfield. He was great all day long, and... Uh, Robert Sala praising him after the game. This is a guy who may not just be a pro bowler. He may be an all-pro defensive tackle this year. Incredible performance by Quinnen Williams in Week 6 against uh, against the Green Bay Packers, Miles. And uh, j- just a sign of what the Jets are becoming. Credit to Joe Douglas systematically putting together a roster that is finally paying off. We were wondering, when's it going to yeah. pay off? When's Douglas going to be in trouble? We know Woody Johnson can be... I don't want to say rash, but not as patient as other owners. And it's easy to be patient when you're, you know, winning some football games. But these Jets off to a great start. The team finally coming together. Robert Sala's message getting through. And it all started with that week two game against the team that I can't remember who they beat that week.
2: I don't either. No? Nah.
1: I don't I don't remember what you're talking about there. What team is that? I don't know. I don't know. But you know, they did it. They did it in <laughs> Cleveland, and then they did it uh, in Pittsburgh. Down, I, I still right. – that astounds me more than anything that the Steelers would blow a 10-point lead at home in the fourth quarter Seriously. to anyone, especially to the Jets. I mean, you think about what the Jets have done. They have one at the field formerly known as Hines. They have one at the field currently known as Lambeau. That is impressive. We have to start thinking about the Jets differently. And Sauce Gardner, one of the big reasons why the team is so much better this year – I, there's been a lot of cheese disrespect recently. Last week, it was the profane chant from the fans <laughs> in London about shoving the bleeping so cheese. Up your bleep. Up your bleep. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's Sauce Gardner, hopefully with not any cheese it actually ended up in that destination, on his head, wearing a <laughs> cheese head. We've never seen that. Of all these years, 30 years now, the cheese head has become... The favored prop of the Packers fan. I can't remember a time where the Packers lost a game convincingly and a member of the opposing team dared to defile the cheese head. And there's Sauce Gardner. That is just awesome. Parading around Lambeau Field with the cheese head. I don't even know where he got it. Maybe a fan threw it down on the field in disgust after the game. But Sauce Gardner had it on until Alan Lazard decided he had enough. Over in the tunnel, he popped it off of his head, which didn't spark a fracas or anything. And I think Lazard did it kind of good-naturedly. But that, that's unprecedented to see. It's, it's almost on par with the Titans in 2008 desecrating the terrible towel, and that did not go well for the Titans. They had a curse that lasted for years thereafter. I have a feeling that this is, this is not going to hurt the Jets. This is the Jets oh. asserting themselves to the world We're here, baby. We're taking over. And you Packers and cheeseheads, you get out of the way because it's it's a new age in the NFL, and both New York teams are good for the first time in a very long time.
3: Well, I know they do like cheese sauce up there in Wisconsin, but I don't know that that's exactly the kind of cheese sauce that they like. There you go.
1: Yes, they don't like that cheese (laughs) sauce. Well done. All right, let's take a break. Superlatives. Uh, and not not uh, the cheese sauce line from Miles. That will not be one of them. With some other superlatives from week six, when this Monday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Joe Burrow was back in the Superdome on Sunday rocking Jamar Chase's LSU National Championship jersey. Here's what Burrow said about his pregame attire.
2: I wanted to just kind of pay tribute to the people of Louisiana and what better way to do it than with the jersey that Jamar wore in the national title game. Yeah, I just texted him, hey, make sure you bring that for me. (laughs)
1: We've seen Joe Burrow wear some very creative and colorful things, and that was a surprise. That was just odd to see. But the LSU, I love that LSU jersey. It reminds me of the old-school Viking Road jersey. I wish the Vikings would go back to that. That's a different topic altogether. It's superlatives time. Here's Miles Simmons with his first one, which may have something to do with the sound that we played on the way in.
3: It sure does, and uh, I would say that this first superlative is the homecoming king, and that would be Jamar Chase. He had a great game, especially great second half. Seven catches, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. Both of those touchdowns came in the second half, but the play of the game really was the 60-yard touchdown that he had, and it was really, really key for the Bengals because it came at the end of a really key sequence. What had happened was the the, the Saints had a chance to really close out that game with the four-minute drive, but they go three and out, then they get a shank punt, and then boom, you get the throw right there from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. Breaks a couple tackles, runs down the sideline, high steps his way into the end zone. Native son of New Orleans, really cool to see him have a terrific game in front of his family and friends down there in the Superdome.
1: Wow, ran past Tyron Matthew on the way to the end zone, too. Another... Louisiana guy who played at LSU, but Jamar Chase, we haven't seen it this year like last year. I think defense's concerted effort to take him away. Chris Sims has complained about a lack of creativity in the Bengals' offense, maybe relying too much on just lining up and letting it rip with Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd as the op- as the options in the passing game. But yeah. hey, this Bengals team now at three and three, they've lost three games with walk-offs just like the Ravens Ravens have a story slash explanation slash excuse for their three losses the Bengals have a better one they could have slash should have won all three of those games and they've had heartbreaking losses but they keep winning and they're in position to make a run that's all you want to do is be in a position to make a run get around Thanksgiving be in contention and then you start putting the wins together one week after another through December and into January and who knows what happens after that first one for me Although he didn't strip off his uniform and parade through the end zone and into the tunnel, this is the Antonio Brown Award because we don't see this very often, but we did see it this calendar year when Antonio Brown was kicked off the sideline during a game between the Buccaneers and the Jets. Robbie Anderson kicked off at the sideline by interim coach Steve Wilks during yesterday's loss to the L.A. Rams. And look, Anderson... I can understand why he's probably a little frustrated. The splash report comes out Saturday. It was too big for even a Sunday splash. Saturday splash with a concerted effort by the Panthers to get the word out that Some guys are off limits in trade. Hey, we would give up Christian McCaffrey for a lot. And the only guy we're really willing to get rid of is Robbie Anderson. I mean, players see that. They hear that. Robbie knows how he fits into that team now that Matt Rule's gone. Rule was the reason he was there in the first place. So... It wasn't as entertaining as the Antonio Brown exit, but it still is odd to see a guy get kicked off the field. And there were multiple run-ins throughout the day. It just seemed like Robbie Anderson was determined he was going to get kicked off the sideline at some point, even though after the game he acted like he was confused by it. And, you know, at this point, who knows what's going to happen with the Panthers. But I have a feeling Robbie Anderson is not going to be on that team come Sunday, whether he's traded or whether he's released, Miles.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it seems like he might be gone from the team by Wednesday when they're out there at practice. So maybe they do one of those, you know, you are still on the team, but maybe you should just stay away. I mean, yeah, as you said, he did have a run in with his position coach during that game in the first half, and then you know he said he was upset about not being on the field on third downs, whatever it happens to be. Panthers' offense was absolutely anemic yesterday, so maybe they could have used him, but I don't know that it really would have made much of a difference in the trade into the the Rams.
1: So trade into the Rams for Cam Akers who's already in the just stay home he right is, yeah. for, for the for the LA Rams and yeah. then you have Cam Akers to help fill the load when you trade Christian McCaffrey to the Buffalo Bills there we've solved we solved all Whoa. the problems
2: Ooh,
3: here's something a little spicier right there F them there. picks baby yeah. hey if
1: the Bills want to win the Super Bowl F them picks and go get Christian McCaffrey
3: I guess, yeah. I mean, why not go get an extra offensive weapon? Keep that uh, Carolina to Buffalo pipeline strong. All right, second one from me. Uh, let's call it Mac who? Because Bailey Zappi is doing some good stuff there for the New England Patriots, man. He is now, according to NFL research, the first rookie to win his first two career starts with a passer rating of at least 100 since Sonny Jergensen in 1957. Mike, that's before even your time, man. That's a long, long time. Thanks. So look, I, I think we got to give credit right now to Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia, and Joe Judge for having this guy ready to play. I mean, look, he's throwing the guys who are college open. The Browns' defense can't stop a nosebleed right now, but you still have to execute those plays. We see quarterbacks all the time who even when guys are college open, they're not getting those throws in there. So Zappi had a really good game, 24-34 for 309 yards, two touchdowns did have a fumble on the strip sack, Um, but he's getting it done. And you know what? Mac Jones is going to come back. And our buddy Tom Curran put it like this. If Mac Jones is not on it, then Bailey Zappi's probably going to be nipping at his heels.
1: Well, Bill Belichick had a couple of opportunities last week to say conclusively that Mac Jones is the starter when healthy, and he did not. Now, Mm -hmm. I've done some poking around on this. I don't get the impression that Jones is in danger of losing his job. This is just more about letting his ankle heal. He's got the high ankle sprain. If Bailey Zappi is winning games, there's less of an urgency to rush him back to the field. But there is something... That I've detected as relates to frustration from Mac Jones. He goes from Josh McDaniels as his coordinator to the combo platter of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Not real thrilled about that. There's a belief that maybe Judge is a Zappy guy. Not real thrilled about that from Jones' perspective. Mm. So we'll see. There's something there. But they're winning games mm. with Bailey Zappy, and all that matters is winning games. This isn't, though, like Drew Bledsoe to Tom Brady. Bill Belichick was no. thrilled. To get the opportunity to go to Tom Brady because he knew what Brady could be. They don't view Belly Zappy as the next coming of Tom Brady. They're just they're just happy to be at 500. I mean, they were staring down the barrel of and, and people people actually thought the Lions were going to beat them. I didn't, but they've turned it around it. and they're at three and three and they're in the mix along with everyone else. Last one for me and I'm gonna I'm gonna go rogue here. I'm gonna do a combo platter here. I'm gonna do Seattle shade in Miami shade. Wasn't there a show with shade in it or Seattle Slough? I'm thinking of the horse. Wasn't there a show that had the word shade like a cop show and I don't know. I'm going no to I'm gonna have to I'm going to have to google it. About. It would it was it Speaking was a long, long time ago. It had to have been <laughs> from the 80s. But anyway, Seattle throwing some shade at Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals with this great homage to the what Draft was. Night setup. That Cliff Kingsbury had for the virtual draft in 2020. I don't know how accurately and how. That's pretty close. That's good. I still prefer uh, prefer the the uh, view there by Cliff, but uh, yeah, uh, Pete Carroll doing a nice job and. Uh, not not a nice job to give both Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime contract extensions. Although we still don't know the amount and we don't know how much is guaranteed. So it could be that one or both of them still is on the outs if this continues. So that's one half of it. Seattle shade. Then how about Miami shade? We talked a lot a few weeks ago about how much hotter it was for the bills in Miami because they were in the sun all game long. Here's the giant thermometer test. 80 or 90 degrees on the Miami sideline, which was in shade the entire day. Vikings sideline up near 120, and they had the purple jerseys, the dolphins in white. I mean, it's a home field advantage, it's a home cooking advantage, and the visiting team is the thing that's being cooked in the oven. That clearly makes a difference, although the Vikings ended up Miles winning the game. Yeah,
3: I mean that's what you call home field advantage, as you said in that tweet right there. So hey, the Vikings won anyway. So it, it, good for them. But, I mean, yeah, when you're going from fall conditions in Minnesota down to those hot conditions in southern Florida, that, that, does, uh, that can do a number on you.
1: There's a fine line, though, between a home field advantage and actually putting the opposing players in danger of heat exhaustion. I don't know what that line is. And it's, yeah. not, like, it's not like they you know, directed hot air at the Vikings sideline. It, it just kind of happened based on the construction of the stadium and the combination of that and Mother Nature. Let's take a break. When we return, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers not doing very well. What happened in Pittsburgh? We'll break that down next on this Monday edition of PFT Live, presented by... We
2: didn't earn it. We didn't earn the win, so... It's a game of earning it, and it's a game of playing well and performing well, and we're just not doing a good job of that. I don't think we've done it for six weeks, and I think we're all playing less than what we're capable of, and we've all got to look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out why. I think guys that's living off the Super Bowl are living in the fantasy land, and... And you got to get your hands dirty and go to work like everybody else. And we've been working hard. We got to work harder. You know, nobody's going to give us anything or feel sorry. So we got to go back as coaches, as players. And the time for talking is over. You either got to put up or shut up.
1: Tampa Buccaneers fall to 3-3 three and three after losing on the road in Pittsburgh despite being nearly double-digit favorites against a Steelers team that limped into the game with a variety of injuries and picked up more during the game their new quarterback Kenny Pickett goes out with a concussion Mitch Trubisky comes in and Trubisky finding Chase Claypool early and often to pull out the victory it was something uh, miles and let's before i start down this path okay. the the elephant in the room is the Tom Brady left the team friday night to go to New York City for what ended up being the surprise wedding of Patriots owner Robert Kraft, Brady's former boss. A surprise
3: wedding? It How was, could a wedding be a surprise? I didn't. Obviously, I didn't read enough about this story from page six over the weekend.
1: What happened was they had this big party. They invited all these people, and they didn't tell them what it was for. I have a feeling Tom Brady had an idea because why else do you pry yourself away away from your team? And then stay over and don't fly back. My first thought is well, you know, I don't know how far the flight is from Tampa to New York, but you got a private plane. It can't be that long. You go up, you come back, you're locked back into the team for Saturday. No, he didn't come back. Yeah. He missed meetings on Saturday morning, missed a walkthrough on Saturday morning, joined the team in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And of course, they're going to downplay it and say it's not an issue. Of course, they're yes. going to. They're never yeah, going to come out and say. They're never going to come out and say. That it's an issue. So let's hear Todd Bowles' effort. Let's study him very carefully. Let's watch the body language, the mannerisms. Let's study what he says and how he says it when he addresses whether or not Tom Brady's disconnection from the team had any impact on the loss to the Steelers on Sunday.
0: Tom Brady had stepped
3: away from the team to a on Friday night. In terms of what he missed, does that factor at
2: all in the play today? No, he didn't miss anything. He had a full week of practice. Else? Do you think that in any way
1: impacted the, the team's struggles in the right zone today? Absolutely not. He can't say anything else. And he did miss something. They had a walkthrough practice on Saturday that he wasn't there for. They had meetings on Saturday he wasn't there for. Of course, it's going to make you better prepared for the game if you're there. It's not going to make you any worse prepared for the game if you're there. He wasn't There. And remember how they bent over backwards to say he's all in after the eleven day absence during training camp? He's all in. He's all in. He's all in. Except when he's not. He's not all in. Because if this was Tom Brady all in, he wouldn't have left. And Robert Kraft would have understood it. How could you how could you fault Tom Brady for not showing up when he's got a game that weekend? Bill Belichick wasn't there. Why not? Because he's got a game that weekend. So that's how it works. And we've, you know, Tom Brady recently lamented the fact that when you're playing football, you miss a lot of stuff. You miss weddings. You miss birthdays. That goes with the territory. Yeah. And and we, I, I'm not giving him a pass for it because you can't tell us in one breath that the guy's all in and then in the next breath, he's clearly not all in. And then yeah. you act like it's not a factor. Of course it's a factor. And I say all this, Miles, because we saw him yelling and heard him yelling. Some, some words that cannot be repeated here but were part of the chant we referred to earlier about what the Giants fans wanted the Packers <laughs> to do with that cheese. That cheese, yeah. How do you have the same credibility? that you would have had if you had been there on Saturday. If I'm one of those guys taking it from Tom Brady, at some point it's crossing my mind that you 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 ditched us Friday night and you weren't around Saturday morning. And being there is a big part of being part of a sports team, being around for everything. So those words and those gestures, I think, ring a little more hollow. Even if it is Tom Brady, the great and powerful Wizard of Goat, even if it's him, it still rings hollow if you're not doing the basic thing that's expected of showing up for Saturday walkthrough and Saturday meetings. Yes, he missed those. And and so I'm, I'm not buying the explanation. Todd Bowles can't say anything but what he said, but I'm not buying it. And I think this is an issue for the Buccaneers now.
3: If it doesn't matter, then why would you have them in the first place? Exactly. Right? I, I mean, if it doesn't matter, then you shouldn't have them. They matter. Everything matters. Being there in the dog days of training camp matters. And it makes me think of that statement that Brady put out when he retired, right? Where he said, I can't make that commitment anymore to be that guy who's there for every single thing. I don't can't make that commitment anymore to football. He hasn't. He has not. When you leave training camp for 11 days, you are not making the same commitment that you've made throughout your entire career and he's 45 years old. I don't blame him for not making that same commitment anymore, but that's the difference, right? You know, when you go to a wedding in New York and what's Robert Kraft doing, having a fall wedding in the first place, I mean, you're in football, bro. I don't have a fall wedding. I guess, even if it was a Friday, I, I don't know. That didn't make any sense to me, but if you're having, if you're going to do all this stuff that happens during football season, then you really should have retired and you should not have ostensibly ruined your family life. For your career. What a life lesson this looks like it is right now. Don't choose your career over your family. Don't do that. Because then you're going to be on the sideline screaming F-bombs at people who were in training camp during the dog days of summer. Who were there for the Saturday walkthrough and the Saturday meetings. And you, because you've won seven Super Bowls. Yeah, you have that credibility. But at some point, I think you're right, Mike. It might become a problem between all the guys who have been there for every single thing and Tom Brady, who said he was all in when he came back, but does not appear to be so. And it's
1: just, I think it's going to be an issue. And and that's what's weird here. And look, I I try to find the right balance between what's fair and what's not fair when it relates to the family issues that are clearly an, an issue for Tom Brady this year. But I, I, I almost feel bad for the guy that he's had his, his Jimmy Stewart, it's a wonderful life epiphany, and it's like it's too late for him to do anything oh. about it, and he's caught yeah. in this weird thing now where he yes. understands yeah. that his life can't be controlled by the game, and he's trying yes. to live differently, but it's yes. too late in some respects. I really do feel bad for him. that I he's, do too. He's getting his wake-up call, and he's responding to it, but it's too late. That that that's and now what does he do? He goes through the motions of something he really doesn't want to do, and he musters enough will to do the bare minimum. But he's going to. That's what what I said when he came back from the eleven day hiatus. Oh, he's back. Okay, until he leaves again. When's he going to leave again? What's he going to do? And they started talking about load management on his Let's Go podcast, and. I I almost got the impression, and it was a topic that Jim Gray brought up, which means there was some sort of advanced coordination. They were going to talk about load management. And I almost thought, like, is he going to take a game off? Are they going to pick a game where they think they have a cupcake that they think they're going to easily beat, and he's just going to let Blaine Gabbert play that week? That thought crossed my mind. So I I feel bad for him. Now, I feel good for the Steelers because all it took was one game, and they're alive again. And see, the thing about the Steelers, and I have been in and around Pittsburgh most of my life, when you write them off is when they become the most dangerous. And I at mm-hmm. least picked them to cover, so I get partial credit. I still didn't think they'd win. But that's when they become dangerous. And now here they are, 2-4, and four, one game behind the Ravens and the Bengals. And they're in position to make things interesting in the AFC North. And uh, even with Mitch Trubisky in, and who knows how long – Kenny Pickett will miss with the concussion. We're going to get to see the Steelers on Sunday night against the Dolphins. But it worked yesterday. It clicked with all those injuries. Defense decimated, especially in the secondary. They still mm-hmm. got it done. Cam Hayward told me after the game, because I said, what did you do to Brady? He said, Brian Flores told us, don't waste your time trying to disguise anything pre-snap. You're not going to fool him. You just got to get after him with the front four. And they did. And it made him frustrated. It had him yelling at his teammates, and even though Hayward said they weren't motivated by the fact that Brady decided to take Saturday off and not go to the walkthrough of the meeting, I suspect that it was discussed at some point in the locker room. Why would Mike Tomlin not make that an issue? This effing guy thinks he can just check out and show up and beat us? That's what they think of us? How do you not find a way to introduce that topic into the locker room if you're Mike Tom? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, in, in some ways, it is a little bit disrespectful, right? And I mean, I don't know that Brady's intention was to do that. But when you are skipping things that are a part of the week leading up to a game, that does give off some sort of air of disrespect. And it does kind of become some bulletin board material for them. But yeah, I mean, look, this is the kind of thing we expect, from a Mike Tomlin coach team, right? This is a program victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They had every reason to roll over, right? Your defense decimated by injuries. You haven't won a game without TJ Watt, you know? And they still are able to muster some stuff together. When you're missing TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick from that defense, that changes everything. It does. Those guys are elite at what they do. It's almost like the Rams missing Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. It just changes everything that you can do because you don't have those two guys out there. So the fact that Mike Tom was talking about it after the game, they had to play linebackers sometimes at the nickel defensive back spot because that's how many guys they were down. You know, Mitchell Trubisky has to come back in and start playing again for Kenny Pickett. And you get Chase Claypool stepping up. Those are the kinds of things that you need to beat a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they got it. And it's just one of those things now where you say, okay, are the Steelers going to start rolling a little bit? Because I can see it happening. It's what they've done every single year under Mike Tomlin. As you always say, just when you think they're out of it, that's when they become the most dangerous. You can never count the Steelers out, and that game is a great example of
1: why. Maybe on tonight's Let's Go podcast, we'll get some more insight on the Tom Brady decision to exit the team on Friday night and Saturday. I'd love to know when he decided. I'd love to know more about the thought process. How much angst did he have? Did he look at the Steelers' injuries because he's never
3: but he's never gonna admit it that no, far, I,
1: know, right? I know, I and, know, and this, this I know this
3: is the thing about Brady, man. Like, I was talking with a buddy about this last night. And it's like, I think that Brady, when he was out for those 40 days and 40 nights, was thinking, you know, man, I'm looking at the NFC and I'm looking at all these quarterbacks, I'm looking at all this. I can still go out there and I can kick their ass. And, and what happens if I'm sitting there? you know, in in my rocking chair as I'm retired and I'm calling Gronk and I'm talking to him like I'm talking to my buddy right now. And I'm like, man, you know, I could have been out there and Gronk, you and me, we could be out there and we could still be running stuff in the NFC. Are you kidding me? How am I going to feel when that happens? And now we know what happens when he's out there and things are just not going well. And it's like, man, you know, you just, ah, what more did he have to prove? Just all said it a couple years ago. And now, yeah, I just, I find the situation, situation real sad. The only thing kind of
1: about this that I find even mildly enjoyable is that it proves that he's still a human being like the rest of us, capable of screwing That's up our true. own lives the way the rest of us routinely do. There's so- a
3: German word for that you know schadenfreude
1: but it's not i'm not taking enjoyment in the fact that he's going through it it's refreshing to know that he is human and that at the core of everything that we see and hear he's no less messed up than the rest of us because we all have issues we're all dealing with a lot of shit as he once said oops i said it I've never said it before in this studio it. feels kind of good let's take a break we'll have more pft live presented by google pixel right after this Troy Vinson appeared on ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown to address the controversies surrounding the roughing the passer calls. And I commend the effort at transparency. I long for the days of Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino working for the league office. And on a regular basis, either on NFL Network or through videos, it would be sent to the media explaining in a very transparent and honest and open way mistakes that were made or not made. Just give us the straight dope. Don't circle the wagons. Don't give us alternative facts. Give us the truth about the calls that were made and how it all works. And Troy Vincent came dangerously close to telling us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth yesterday. He said in a nutshell, Miles, number one, we support those calls. Not because they were right. He didn't say that. We support them because this is the one rule that gives the referee latitude to be wrong. It says it in the rule book when in doubt throw the flag to protect the quarterbacks and this is where vincent went farther than i thought he would and it i'm not saying i agree with it because i think there needs to be a firewall between the nfl's business interests and the integrity of the game vincent started quoting the numbers about x you know 90 plus of the top 100 most watched views or most, most watched shows on tv are nfl games and we want to have quarterbacks available. If you don't have quarterbacks, the games aren't any good. And that's the NFL's business interest trumping the integrity of the game. We're willing right. to screw a team here or there. We're willing to have the Falcons lose a game they could have won because we want our referee to protect the quarterback, so we want him to throw the flag to make sure there's this bubble around the quarterbacks so defensive players think twice before potentially hurting quarterbacks because we want as many quarterbacks healthy as we can even if we have to screw a team or two along the way. That's a problem. That's a real problem. But the NFL doesn't care. They're allowing the business interest to overcome the integrity of each and every game, Miles.
3: They are, and that's what the biggest problem is. You can't have that and then still expect folks to be happy with the outcomes. Right? These defensive players get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars, too, to make plays. Chris Jones gets paid to sack quarterbacks. Right. Von Miller, the difference maker in that game between the Bills and the Chiefs gets paid millions and millions of dollars to sack quarterbacks, to influence and affect things. Aaron Donald gets paid millions of dollars because he can get in the backfield and sack quarterbacks and influence and affect things from a defensive standpoint. So the problem really is the inconsistencies. That's why I loved what got reported from ESPN. And Adam Schefter talking about Mike Vrabel sending that reply all email. Which happened. I appreciate the videos. Yeah. What's that? It did happen. Yeah. Look, I appreciate the videos, but uh, yeah, you know, let's make sure that the officiating is consistent. That's where we need to spend our time. I totally agree with that. Mike Vrabel's got a point. And it's the same thing the Falcons head coach Arthur Smith said a couple weeks ago with the Grady Jarrett thing, right? I want to know how to coach our guys, because if this is now illegal, what Jarrett did to Tom Brady, then that means we got to coach it differently. So how the hell are they, they supposed to coach but it? They
1: can't. With, what? They can't. What? That's the problem. And that's what exactly. Williams told me yesterday. He watched the Jerry uh, Grady Jarrett play. He watched the Chris Jones play. They did their jobs to perfection. So what do you do? You know what Quinn Williams does yesterday? He hits Aaron Rodgers. And throws his hands up in the air because he's afraid he's going to get flagged for doing his job. Meanwhile, the ball's bouncing around on the field. He could have gotten on it, recovered it, possibly scooped it and scored. So, look, the defensive players just have to accept the fact that it may happen. Just go do your job. And like Quinton Williams told me yesterday, just worry about the next play. If they flag you for it, so be it. There's nothing you can do. Because this is the way we're supposed to do our job, and if they're going to choose to penalize us for roughing the passer, there's nothing more we can do to alter that outcome. Because this is the way we're supposed to play the game.
3: But that and but that's a problem. How can we do this? How can we keep doing this? I mean, I understand obviously that quarterbacks Here's are Quentin really Williams. a big. Watch part Quentin of the Williams.
1: Game. He's the yeah. ball's
3: there. He's so worried about getting flagged. He just, the ball bouncing is. around. He is. And that's not fair. That's not fair to him. And, and not, life isn't fair. And I understand that. And he's still getting paid millions of dollars. But I just, I don't like to see guys being that worried about doing their jobs and doing what they get paid to do just because it's so inconsistent. I, I just, if
1: we're going to do it, let's just have everything consistent. And, does, and they the want, other thing they is, don't want, Miles, again, back to the point. I business, know. It's not about consistency. It's not about I integrity know. of the game. It's about making sure that quarterbacks are available so we'll tune in in record numbers and watch. Think of this right. example, and then we've got to take a break. I, just, I need to say this before we take a break. And and this may help people understand how messed up this is. Let's say that for some reason the American audience loved to watch a lot of field goals and that there was some proven connection between more field goals means more people tune in and watch the game. And they were officiating games in a way that engineered more field goals. We would say, that's really messed up. That's what they're doing. They know what results in higher viewership. They're officiating the games in a way that's conducive to the thing that leads to higher viewership, not anything to do with the integrity of the game. I want people to understand that. They are undermining deliberately and consciously the integrity of the game in order to advance the business interests of the NFL, and people need to start talking about it. And people need to start yelling about it because that's the only way it's ever going to change. But you know what? I don't think it will. Let's take a break. I'll we'll be back her. with more PFT Live right after <laughs> The mystery has been solved. The shade show that I was thinking of was Evening Shade, which actually, starring Burt Reynolds, was about a high school football team. Reynolds had played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it fits. Seattle Shade, Miami Shade, Evening Shade
3: miles there we go yes and now we have morning shade because it's still dark here in los angeles
1: thank god we did our monday night preview off the top because we spoke too much we're out of time that's it for this monday edition of pft live miles thanks as always i'll see everybody tuesday morning enjoy the game tonight broncos country let's ride all right good stuff thank you